I'm an executive tycoon, an executive craze, caught up in the web of corporate names, with a handshake gallus and a dolphin's thumb, a bar school book and a digital Hello again, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. It is April 24th, 2014, and my name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again for today's show. Got another good one for you. Uh, We'll be listening to um, a little snippet of Freddie the Beard that Allison caught uh, at his uh, book release event out in New York. Uh, we're also going to be hearing from uh, the owner of the Smoking Aces uh, venue where uh, the tournament was just held in uh, Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And continuing with our series of profiles on the Moscone Cup team candidates, we're going to be hearing from Mr. 400, John Schmidt, here very shortly. So stick around and... Uh, Wrap your ears around that. It's going to be good. Before we move on, though, I wanted to let you know that uh, the BCA 2014 rule book is in print and available now, uh, as well as the app. You can download it on iTunes or uh, through Google Play. It's pretty nifty having all the rules there stuck in your pocket and your phone. Um, but what's particularly impressive um, is their Ask a Ref feature. Uh, If you have a dispute or a question, you can uh, send in uh, your uh, question and uh, they'll get a ref, an official certified ref to uh, get back to you with the answer about it. So uh, that's pretty cool. I think I like that. Um, We also wanted to let you know that we're going to be beginning a new series once a month. For now, we will be featuring a segment Produced by Ricky Bryant called Q Talk. And it will feature various Q makers, uh, Q collectors, Q repairmen, things of that nature. And uh, it'll be great to get um, some information and some insight uh, into that particular world or that realm. Because, of course, as you know, when you play pool, everybody's going to use a Q. So um, it'll, it should be interesting, and uh, keep your eyes peeled for when uh, the first episode comes out. We'll certainly l- let you know uh, when that happens. Also wanted to let you know that uh, we're starting a, a nifty little new feature. Uh, I'd like to call it Eyewitness News. And what that entails is uh, we've set up a, a call-in line because we can't be everywhere in every event on every occasion and so you know but you guys are at various places across the country and we miss out sometimes on uh, some good stories and some good information some good coverage of, of uh, different events simply like I said because we, we can't be everywhere at the same time so we set up a phone line for you guys to call in with news reports of your own pow you think you're a reporter this is your chance. Can you tell a good story? This is your chance. Do you have an opinion on a particular subject and you want to be heard? Well, this is your chance. Now, obviously, it's no guarantee that we're going to use your information because it may come down to having too much material to work with. But we do, obviously, want to increase our coverage of different things that happen across the United States And the very best way for us to do that is to reach out to you guys and uh, give you an opportunity to help us cover some of these events. And uh, we will post more information about this on the website and on azbilliards.com in the forum. So if you want to check into it, just keep your eyes peeled. We will have the phone number and uh, information posted up for you guys to get a hold of that. So next time you go to a great tournament... Or you bump into your favorite pool player in the bathroom, we'll whip out your phone and just start recording. You know what I mean? We'll get some good stories that way. And uh, we'll be right back after this. 
everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host, Allison Fisher of NYCGrind.com. Thanks so much for joining me. A couple weeks back, I had the opportunity to attend a book launch event for Freddie the Beard, Benavania's new book, The Encyclopedia of Pool Hustlers, held at HK Lounge in New York City. Those of you who had tuned in last week heard me speak with Freddie's daughter, Kat Adamy, about some of the media exposure he's gotten for the new book, including an appearance on the Mark Baser show and a feature piece in the Chicago Reader. You can also hear my interview with her in the American Billiard Radio archive. On this week's show, I'll be sharing some of the stories that he told during his talk in New York with interviewer Narina Mysikic. Without any further ado, here's Freddie. To the first question, which is, why did you decide to write this book? Well, I've got, <clears throat> I've got two instructional books out and two instructional DVDs. And in all my work, I always include some stories. You know, I'll do like any instructional DVDs, I'll do like 20 minutes of instruction, then I'll tell okay, let's, let's take some comic relief and I'm going to tell some stories. Relax yourself. Anyway, it worked out very well because we became very successful. People really like the story. Uh, because nobody's telling them. Okay, this is an era that never been documented. Uh, people that know about it go from our head. It, uh, it covers the full uh, scene from the second half of the 20th century, 1950 to the year 2000. That's when I was acting. The new players, I don't even know. You know so I, I don't write it. I only wrote about the people that I knew. So I got fat worse than to do a whole book because the, the, uh, the instructional stuff was so successful, people wanted to do a whole book of stories. Now, I, I had uh, taken a lot of notes throughout the years. And uh, I had this one line note to remind me of a story or something. I just kept notes. So when I did the book, it just came kind of that. So I just filled out the the, uh, the storylines and, and turned it into a book uh, in about a year. I had a great editor, a friend of mine, George Spells, he's a great writer. Uh, he's the, uh, he was the most famous pool writer. He did uh, uh, an article. He had a column in the Bayer Digest every month. He had about four or five pool books. And a uh, tremendous writer, good friend, and he really helped me. <coughs> he edited the book like 389 pages together, each page three times. Okay. So, uh, but he recently passed, so that's that. Uh, so I put the book together, here it is, and anything else you got to say. Did he see it before he passed? Yes, he did. Okay, that's, that's great. Um, I want, what does it mean uh, for me to be a hustler? I mean, what, what sort of traits are common amongst the hustlers that you meet? We have to be kind of hardcore, you know? Uh, <laughs> it was a character and in my day. Things weren't so easy. People didn't have money, they didn't have cars, they didn't have places to sleep. Everybody had more money for that. Everybody got a car, everybody got a place to sleep. You can go get a green car, you can get a Food stamps, you know, they would be all that. Ah. You know, if you, if you lost, when I was playing, then you slept in the bus station. Or in the park, or in your car. And uh, you might have to you know, borrow money from a friend to eat. So it made really a tough, a tough generation. We had the, and I wasn't like that. I wasn't that kind of person. I, I was a very soft kind of guy when I started playing. I liked pool, but I wasn't hardcore. So I would play, and these houses would rob me. You know, they caught my money, and I'd have to walk home. Finally, I realized I had to toughen up. Because I was worried about maybe beating them out of their money, and then they wouldn't have anything to eat, and I'm not living at home with my mother. I got a place to sleep, I got something to eat. You know, this poor guy, if I beat him, you know, he's going to have to you know, sleep in the bus station. What would happen? He'd bust me. I'd have to walk home, you know. The money added up to that. And I said, so I'm gonna, I don't care where this guy sleeps, okay? I'm gonna beat him. So it hardens you up. And pull-offs in my day were pretty tough characters. You had to, 
had a lot of, a lot of uh, experience, a lot of character, a lot of determination, a lot of will to win. And so uh, we were difficult to beat back then. We played somebody who didn't have those kind of characteristics, characteristics or those qualities, we'd run right through them. They had to have the same kind of motivation we did. Very few people do. I mean, there are some incredible stories in this book, and one of my favorites, um, one of my favorite sections is about um, the old billiard den, which is uh, uh, a pool hall that was in Hollywood, right? And Santa Monica Boulevard. And so there were many, many characters coming through there. Um, uh, some very Peter Falk, uh, Goldie Hawn, James Hall. Who else did you see at the old billiard den? There was a lot of movie stars came through there. Uh, singer uh, Johnny Mathis was there. Frank was there. He, he was there when I was there. Yay! And it was a great, great room. Bill Spector would come in. He was a bodyguard, George Brand. Uh, Goldie Hawn. Uh, Peter Falk loved to play pool, too. Is he still alive? I think Peter just died. He did, really? Yeah. Terry Arbach loved to play. So it was a great pool room. I've never been in a pool room like this. Because half the joint is filled with beautiful women. I mean, I a real seedy joint. Benson was in Chicago. It was in the basement. Smiley's. No air conditioning. You know, and pool women for sure. But the player didn't help these beautiful girls in Hollywood, you know. And when I first got there, I said, wow, this is good. I'm going to in paradise. When I got there, I was like a still Chicago club. I got no hair slacks. I got alligator shoes, which was the uniform of pool out there. Italian at church. And nobody talked to me. <laughs> and I played good. I was the best player in the joint. But the girls supported me. Now you're going by all the other pool players. So uh, this was the time of the Woodstock Nation time, you know. And uh, finally, uh, a friend of Frankie's, a uh, kid from Jersey, Augie, you get a hold of me, he said, listen, you're going to have to convert, okay? You're going to get you some bottom pants. <laughs> you know, let your hair run long, some sandals. And I listened to him. I went for it. Because I was there for a month. Nobody would talk to me. The girls wouldn't even talk to me. They thought I was like the FBI. And it was called Give Me Credit for a <laughs> anyway, it was an instant transformation. I went across the street, they had a head store, head store there. I got sandals, I got blue jeans, I pulled my hair straight down. And I walked in the joint, a couple of girls said, Who are you? I've been here a month, oh my. But uh, it was a great, great place. A lot of activity. Pretty wild back then. I got a few stories. I'm tell one story, but I don't think I can. Tell the story. I do. I mean, seriously, it's, it's not that bad. You know, I mean, my daughter's there. Oh, okay. It involves they had a swingers club in the Hollywood Hills. Okay. I was a young kid. They had some place. They had like 200 couples who meet twice a week in a mansion in Hollywood Hills. They had no furniture in the night, just mattresses. That's all I'm going to Show business when he was younger. 
He could have been the biggest star of all time. Oh, yeah. Now, he could also play. People say he could play. I knew Pat's. Pat was a tremendous gambler. And if you, locked him in the, if you were locked in a room with Pat's and you had money in your pocket, when the doors opened, we'd be broke. Okay? He would have your money. That's how smart he was. How good he played. Uh -huh. And he, he's tough yet, anyway. He was on the original Tonight Show when it ran like two, it was two hours, two and a half hours. It used to run a long time. And they had a lot of guests. But Fetch was the first guest. And I don't remember if it was Johnny Carson was the host or the guy before him. I'm not sure, a long time ago. When the Fetch came on, they canceled all the other guests. They've never done that before or since. All the other guests, they had him on the whole two and a half hours. So how good did he play? He was on uh, the show with Muhammad Ali, another talk show. And you know, Ali is always, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Well, he tried doing that with Fetch, but he's the greatest. Fetch destroyed him. And at the end, Muhammad Ali waved his hand. He said, I'm oh, sorry, I gotta give up. Fetch, you are the greatest. I mean, if he was here right now, everybody in this bar would be in this room. Wherever he was, everybody followed him. It's phenomenal, the personality guy. Wherever he was, he did a, an exhibition, a pool exhibition in Indianapolis. Like 60,000 people watched the pool exhibition. Now his exhibitions were horrible, okay? It was not an exhibition, it was a gamble. All he did was talk, and if he shot, he shot. He just had to shot, he shot, because he, he just wasn't geared up to, you know, to, to shoot exhibition jobs. He was again, all the real shots for money. But he filled stadiums to see him play. And it's a great story, I gotta tell this story. He charged a lot of money for exhibitions. And uh, Luther Lester was the world champion at the time. And he would do exhibitions. He was the best player in the world, Luther. And he did exhibitions for cost $150 for Luther to come in and do an exhibition and play. Just in the 60s. Fat Shark, thousands. Okay, so a guy called up Fat and said, listen, Fat, I'd like you to come do an exhibition. So the told him the price that he would charge to come do the exhibition. The guy said, Jesus, I can't afford that because I got a real small room. So Fetch said, well, how much could you charge? How much can you give me? The guy said, best I can do is give me like $40. So Fetch says, okay. So what Fetch did is he walked in the direction of the lady love. That's a true story. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us about your experience with in the color movie. Um, you got a small role in the film, right? How did that come about? Well, <clears throat> the uh, technical director was hanging around with Michael, uh, Mike Siegel, great pool player. He was the technical director uh, for that movie. And so he got me a part in there when they were shooting. And, uh, I got to talking to uh, Tom Cruise, nice kid, and there was one scene where Tom Cruise is breaking the ball, playing nine ball. So breaking the wrong way, terrible, you know. So me, I, you know, I don't care if they throw me out, I can't go from that. So I grabbed Tom, listen, man, whoa, 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 pull up. I told Martin, we can't do this. Nobody breaks the balls like that that can play. So Tom Cruise says, well, that's how Paul Newman showed me how to do it. So I said, well, Paul Newman can't play pool. <laughs> he said, well, you know, you know. He did a pool movie. He did a pool you know. So it's funny, at the end of the story, about Paul Newman, normally, if the kid wasn't, didn't have any something about him, they'd have probably called the security and thrown me out. You know, that's how they are. But this kid had some sense, you know. And he listened. He said, how do you break the ball? So I showed him, this is how the pros break the ball, fighting ball. So the funny thing is, if you watch the movie, you'll see that Tom Cruise breaks him the right way with his hand on the table. Paul Newman breaks him off the end rail, which is totally nothing. So what happened is, Cruise did not share this information with Paul Newman. You know, go ahead and you know, bring it up there. But 
how did you initially get in, into the film world? Because I think I, I, was, I heard a story that um, you had gone to uh, to uh, call, cast call, yeah. and initially got turned away, but then somehow you got in, and you had a conversation with Scorsese where you told him something specific. Yeah. Well, what happened is they had a casting call, and by the time it got my turn, Scorsese had given up. He you know, packed it in. That's it. He wasn't going to take any more auditions. So I was really mad about that. So I asked my, I told my friend Mike Seale, got to get me in there. So Mike invited me into the scene, into the set. And then he uh, brought me in to talk to a Scorsese, I called Martin. I said, listen, Martin, if they were doing a movie about movie directors from the Lower East Side of New York, and they didn't have you in it, how would you feel about it? He said, okay, okay, go ahead. Just, just get over there by call and tell them you're in a movie. I hope you all enjoyed hearing some of the stories Freddie had to share. Thanks so much for joining me here on Pool on the Grind. I'll catch you guys next week. I'm Scott Lee, PBIA instructor from Largo, Florida. I'm Randy Getlicker, PBIA master instructor from Dallas, Texas. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. Today our topic is the break. The break? The break. Tell us a little bit about the break, Randy. I like to uh, uh, put the break in a completely different category of the pool game. Boy, I, I agree with that. There's, there's so many people out there who... Uh, think the break is all about brute force and and so they lunge into it and we see all kinds of crazy uh, movements out there uh, with, with what uh, do you think break. it's about I think it's about speed and timing yeah control yeah yeah and now speed is part of it uh, in in some games so if we if we take the break away from the game and and, and work on the break itself, then we have to work on, uh, what, two different types of breaks. Sure. There's a finesse break that some games require us to do. What would those games be? Well, uh, that would be like straight pool or one pocket. Right, a, a finesse uh, break. And then there's maybe a higher speed break of 8-ball, 9-ball, 10-ball. Yeah. Right? So e the break has to be separated and worked on in its own individual component. Absolutely. It's, it is all about timing. So, I think that uh, the, the break is way overrated as far as being a very important shot. Now, uh, I don't want to get quoted wrong here. It may be the start of a game, and how you break may be the outcome of the break, or of the game. But yet... Well, I would agree with that too, Randy, but the, probably the biggest myth out there uh, among most pool players is that if you don't make a ball in the break, your break sucks. Yeah, and that's just absolutely not true. No, you only make a ball in the break about half the time. Yeah, right. Even the professionals are at 56%. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that really uh, uh, backs it off uh, from, you know, the, the real importance of what's going on with the break. It's about technique. It's about timing. Well, if you can't hit the center of the cue ball, and hit the head ball square on a higher speed break, uh, you're actually going downhill from there. And this gets back to our stroke mechanics again. If you jerk the cue backwards like a lot of people do on the break, you're going to find it very difficult to be accurate in letting that uh, cue do the work. And then you're going to be trying to grip it and rip it, which we see an awful lot. I consider the break for myself uh, um, a high speed stop shot but not particularly a higher speed stop shot. Certain games and different tables just, I think, uh, Scott, that you can overhit a break. You can. Uh, I've I seen balls go in multiple times on a softer break, and I don't mean a weak break, but a softer break than a high speed break. That's, that's true. One of the first things that we tell our students is to back off on how hard you're hitting the ball and get control. Now, you know what I learned years ago? That you don't have to have the first break to know the table. 
<laughs> All you have to do is watch your opponent break. Say we're playing a nice eight ball game. Mm -hmm. And if he breaks from the left hand rail and he makes three balls on his break, probably on my break I'm going over to the left hand rail and break from there. We sure see that a lot in, in uh, uh, professional and high level amateur events. Given the opportunity, the, they will practice breaking from different uh, places on the table to see if the table Gives, resp responds better right. from one place or another. So I guess what I mean to say here then is we can learn from our opponent in a breaking issue. We sure can. you got to know the table. You do. Right. And you got to have a good stroke. Oh, the horse. <laughs> it's all about the horse. It is. So um, a straight pool break and a one-pocket break. Now there's strategy involved in that. There is. Not speed, uh, control of speed, but not high speed. And I want to add one little tidbit here. Sure. Watch the cue ball when you break. Yeah, it tells you everything. We, we, tell, we tell all our students, look at the object ball when you're shooting, but the break is an exception. Look at the look at the cue ball when you break. Is that is that etched in stone? Do you have to do that? Don't have to do that. But even the pros know that that's a better uh, better method of getting a more positive reaction. So your final eye pattern is to the cue ball. To the cue ball. Okay, I agree. By the way, I just uh, not many people talk about it. They don't. Here we talk about all the time the eye should be on the target ball, and here's a situation where. We're telling our, our listeners that here's a possible you could look at your cue ball last. That's right. Okay. So the break. Yeah, it's important. It is important. It is important. But it's not all about speed. It's about... It's about timing yeah, and rhythm I, and accuracy. Yeah. I, I like uh, the cue ball after the break is going to tell you exactly what you did. And you don't have to have a death grip on the cue. It can be really loose. Actually, that would hurt you, wouldn't it? It sure would. All right, nice well, loose sure, grip. We sure see it out there. High speed? High speed. All right, how about follow through on the break? Oh, well, don't you have to follow through like four feet? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, nothing changes. The cue ball no. still leaves it. That's right. My my finish is the same on the break as it is on a lag. Yeah, mine is too. Exactly the same. Well, this has been uh, the One Minute Pool Instructor. I'm Scott Lee. Uh, join us next week when we're going to be talking about the four venues in pool. And who are you, sir? Four venues and pool. I'm Randy G, right. and I want to talk about those four different venues well, and, and how we can have fun playing this There game. you go. There you go. So join us next week. This has been the One Minute Pool Instructor. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week right here on American Billiard Radio. Today I'm talking to Mikey McEwen down at uh, Spoken Aces Barbecue in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. How you doing, Mikey? <laughs> I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Smoking Aces? Well, Smoking Aces started out as a barbecue restaurant. It had two, I recently bought it two years ago. It had two small pool tables in it. I've currently added on last October. 3,500 square foot, and I now have eight valley bar tables, two nine-foot diamond tables. The room has like 10 TVs. We made it real comfortable for everybody to come in and play pool. I basically started the room with uh, the help of a lot of friends and family. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, probably one of the most family-oriented places that, as far as pool hall goes. I mean, mm -hmm. children come in, adults of all ages come in and play pool, and stuff like that, and I just basically started hosting bigger tournaments and stuff like that because I I wanted to give more back to the players because I was a pool player growing up myself, and um, mm -hmm. I, I think that the, one of the biggest problems with the pool industry is the promoters, and everybody tries to take away so much from the players. Yeah. So basically what, what I tried to do was come up with a tournament where you could win a lot of money for first place, with the minimum players where you're not playing two or three hundred of the of the players. Right. And, um, it just kind of it's kind of took off since October. I had a I had a five thousand dollar added open tournament, my very first one, and we had a hundred and sixty players. Wow! Wow! So, That's crazy. And we was not ready for that. But. <laughs> uh, well, it sounds like you're uh, you're moving on to a, a good track. I mean, with the 
the event that you just had this last weekend, your your $32,000 tournament, where our buddy Justin Bergman took home the the $20,000 prize. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you got things covered as far as taking care of your players, so that's great. And I know you're going to be having another one of those here in August. So um, as soon as uh, as soon as that information is available, we will let everyone know the dates and everything, so that way you can uh, tune in. And Ray Hansen uh, will be doing the streaming on that, correct? Yes, Full Action TV. He, he covers most of our bigger bigger events, and mm-hmm. we're hoping to coordinate everything with him, where he can cover all of our future two thousand dollar event tournaments. We would like to do these about every three to four months, and um, we already have eight players signed up for the next one, so there's only eight spots left. Nice. Um, I do strongly feel like we can get more players in this, but everything ran so good with the room size and with the time mm-hmm. coordination that I'm just going to cap it at 16 players again. And the only thing that we're changing this time due to fan and player response is it's going to be winter break instead of alternate break. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, do you guys have food or anything like that? So we have a full bar, um, mixed drinks. We have a full kitchen. We specialize in barbecue, pork steaks, and some and some home-cooked uh, meals. We had some chicken and dumplings this weekend, and a few of the players from north had never heard of what chicken and dumplings was from a <laughs> m- middle small town like Poplar Bluff, but yes. <laughs> two things that I wanted to really concentrate on um, about this term is making sure everybody felt friendly. Uh, all the players made it sure that they got tre- treated more like professionals than um, than what I've seen in the past before. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to give them red red carpet service. Um, you know, everybody, all the players in the tournament were were really professionals that you know mm-hmm. the way that they carried themselves and you know everything about the tournament and the players and everything was on a professional playing field and for pool we live in like an area where pool players don't come to this area because there's no big pool rooms and there's no right. there's no tournament so for something like this to come to Popper Bluff Missouri was really great for the fan base we had a huge there's people as far as New Orleans, Louisiana, come for, for this event, and um, you know we were really proud of, as far as room owners and and well, you know pool promoters that we were we were really mm-hmm. pleased about that. That's great. Yeah, I think uh, you know I'm a, I'm a firm believer that I think uh, the way for pool to really take off and and start seeing more success is to, you know, have the the amateur and the pro, you know, in the same room all the time. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, if if an amateur sees, you know, the professional side of the sport and and sees, you know, the skill and the hard work that they go through, I think I think that would be um I think it's key for for pool to start growing a little bit more. So you know, I commend you for for holding that tournament and exposing your you know people that might not get to see these guys. You know, exposing yes, them sir. To, to it. That's great. One thing that we did this time to say this to all the players, not really the fans, but anybody that's playing in the tournament, we opened up our table for them. Uh-huh. Gave them each a free meal. What my goal is this time is to give every player that's got a you know a paid entrance a free hotel room for three days. So help out on our expenses and stuff like that. So that's our that's our plan for this time is to try to come up with a way to to get it where all the players have a free hotel room and free food and no coin drop while they're here. That's great. That's great, Mikey. That's uh, yeah. I've never heard of a room owner doing that before. That would be awesome. So if you're if you're if you're a company out there or individual and you're looking to sponsor something really cool then then get a hold of Mike down at Smoking Aces. Uh, so yeah, you guys make sure that you uh you keep your eyes open and check out the app and we'll keep you updated on on the exact dates and everything and the the entry list and let you know who's gonna be playing and make sure you you support Ray and Cool Action TV and, and uh, you know, purchase the pay-per-view event because, boy, let me tell you, it was, it was a fun tournament to watch. If yeah. any of the if any of the cue makers or any of the 
people invention like the, there's a guy that just made that makes jump cues and there's an easy jumper a guy I've contacted today that owns a business if anybody's interested in putting up a banner or anything like that that you know it will be streamed on the TV where people can see that their banners and stuff like that and it will be um, posted in the room as well and all the money that you know whatever they want to donate and it will 100 percent go to the players you know hotel hotel expenses. That's great, Mikey. You can uh, you can find all of Spoken Aces information. Uh, they'll have a limited profile on the Go Play Pool app, so check that out. Uh, if you don't have the app yet, make sure you download it. It's free on Android and iOS, and it has a lot of great information. and And it's a great way for you know pool halls to promote their room and their tournaments and events and stuff like that. And again, it's free to download. All right, why, why don't you let everybody know uh, how to find Smoking Aces and, and get a hold of you guys. Anybody need any additional information, we're on Facebook at Smoking Aces Barbecue LLC, and they can also add me, Mikey McEwen, that's M-C-K-U-I-N, and I'll add you to Facebook, and you can keep up with all of our upcoming events and is everything like that as well. And your guys' phone number? Our phone number is 573-712-2900. All right. Thanks, Mikey. And you will be able to find that information on the Go Play Pool app as well. Okay. And I thank you guys very much. If any of the other pool room owners is ever doing events and need sponsorships or needing uh, more players to come or whatever, they can always give us a call and we'll always be willing to, to put players in tournaments or, or do whatever we can for the pool community. Great. Thank you, Mikey. We appreciate that, and I'm sure your players <clears throat> appreciate it as well. And, uh, yeah, I will uh, will be in touch with you soon. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us again for another Go Play Pool app featured room right here on American Billiards Radio. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report. This is Mark Kentrell, and it's brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And, uh, you know, we're doing the series of interviews with the Moscone Cup team members. We had uh, Oscar Dominguez on last time and Mark Wilson before that. And so now we're joined by none other than Mr. 400, John Schmidt. How are you, John? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you, bud? Doing great. Um, jump right into it here. Um, you know, it's, there's so many great players in the United States right now, and they all have attributes that would make them qualified to be on Team USA. And Mark Wilson's had the tough job of, of wheeling it. He's got to wheel it down to five, but he's got to eight, and obviously you're one of the eight potential team members, uh, it must be a real honor just to be in the top eight, considering the players are out there. Oh, of course. I mean, it's a huge honor, and I've said it before. You know, there's, there's 30, 40 guys in America that, that play well enough to be on the Moscone Cup. But I think, um, you know, it sounds cliche to say this, but it's a, it's a huge honor. And I think Mark is trying to put a, a team together that he feels will represent the United States well and themselves well and the, the sport of pool. And to me, that's the biggest honor because many of us can play. Um, obviously, I wouldn't name names, but some players, um, you know, maybe don't fit the bill on somebody to want to represent the sport. So if I'm thought of as a guy that can represent America well and the sport well, then I'm hugely thrilled and flattered, of course. Yeah, well, as we know, it's one of the potentials. Everybody can play. There's no sure. doubt about that. So the question that I've been asking and will continue to ask the, the eight potential team members is, 
what do you believe that you bring to the table other than the playability? What do you think you bring to the table to well, make the team a better team? Well, that's a great question, Mark, and, and kind of a tough one. Um, I mean, obviously, any 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 player in any sport has an ego, okay? Um, I, I feel that maybe my strength might be my self-deprecating humor and the fact that, you know, when it's all said and done, I don't think I would be thought of as an egomaniac. And I really think that, you know, to be a team player, you know, you've got to be able to respect your opponents. And, and, you know, I've been around the game and life long enough to appreciate the wins and stomach the losses. And, and I've built a lot of respect for my opponents and my teammates. And, you know, when you come out, some people are kind of young and brash and think they should never lose. And I've, I've taken enough beatings in pool that, you know, I understand that everybody out there is a great player. In Europe is great players. And I respect my players and opponents in the game. And I think that will alleviate a little bit of the pressure. Um, a mistake that I, I think some of the players have made in the Moscone Cup is being a little too brash in some of their interviews. And it puts a lot of pressure on themselves. When the lights come on and it's time to play, I, I think uh, a little humility will go a long ways, and uh, a little bit more politeness. And uh, you know, I'm a huge golf nut. Anybody that knows me knows that I follow golf. And you know, one of the things that, that the golfers really have going for them is the way they act, conduct themselves, the charities they give to, you know, the way they look their opponent in the eye and shake their hand when they lose. And and I think that's something Mark Wilson and America is really looking for from our team is how we conduct ourselves, and I believe that this, this squad of eight will do a great job of that, and they're great players, too. Make no mistake, this Team America can win this Moscone Cup, okay? This isn't, this isn't a, a, you know, a 10,000-point game of straight pull. This is nine ball, and these guys know how to play this game, and I think we're in the perfect spot, Mark, to win it. You know, I'm kind of getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but I just feel like people have been telling Team America, you can't win. You can't believe that. These guys are great players. They can win. It's four days of pool. And, you know, I the one thing I might bring to the table is I've been through enough battles on a pool table and in life and in relationships, and I've seen things go from real good to real bad and vice versa. And I just think that uh, when the dust settles, um, I'm going to be able to play the level of pool that's expected for me when it counts. Well, you know, you've got, you know, you've got a lot of experience, and you've got Moscone Cup experience. And this is again, this is another constant that I've been talking and bringing up. Do you believe that anything, anything that can? What advice would you give to Justin Hall, Justin Bergman? Uh, Jeremy Sose, who've never actually played the Moscone Cup team match. I mean, when you think of you, I don't believe, from what I've heard from people, there is nothing that can prepare you for what happens when you play. There isn't anything that can prepare you, but, and again, that's a great question, and I'm almost afraid to give an honest answer because I don't want it to come out wrong, but here's what I would tell a guy if I was sitting there talking about it. You know, and, and my philosophy, maybe this is the wrong one, but it's helped me through life and through pool. You know, I, I many people that know me personally know I have a, a younger brother that's quadriplegic. Now, if you said to my younger brother, listen, uh, you're going to play a Moscone Cup match. Well, what's the worst that's going to happen? This guy can't walk. He's paralyzed. So everything is put in perspective. If, if you go into these pool matches and you make too big of a deal of it, you, you can you can self-implode and you can and you can hurt your chances. I think you've got to be realistic and, and go, listen, it's a huge thing, it's a huge honor, but you don't have cancer. You're not going to get the guillotine if you lose. This is a reward for being a great player to look at it as such and go out there and have a good time, play your heart out, try your best, but don't sabotage your chances by getting over-amped Keep things in perspective here. You know, there's not a giant asteroid coming at the Earth if we don't win this Moscone Cup. Now, try 110%, but remember that that this is a good thing to be in a Moscone Cup, not a terrifying thing. And that's that's the advice that I would give, and I'd also tell them, listen, there's a reason that you've been picked. You're a great player. We're in the perfect position, too, Mark, 
Nobody thinks Team America can win. It's a bunch of rookies. We've got to go to England and play them. It's the recipe for everything to gain and nothing to lose for us. And Europe has everything to lose and nothing to gain. They're expected to win, and they're going to have a lot of answers that they're going to have to come up with if they lose. And believe me, they can lose, and they know it. Right. That's uh, it's, it's, it's a very good point that you, you bring up. And I had said this, and this is awful, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't really say it, but to say, realistically, because Mark Wilson's going to be, he's on the he's on the block for all of this. If they win, yeah. it's going to look like a genius. If, if Team USA loses, it's going to be, well, I told you so. I mean, you put a team like that together, experience and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. well, once you win your third match, the pressure's off because that's the team did lack. And that sounds awful to me. That once you win three matches, you did better than last year. So Mark Wilson, last well, had what supposed the greatest players in America: Shane, Johnny, Earl, Rodney, and Hatch. Sure, a mature team, lots of experience, and could still only want to win. So the young team wins three, and that's all they do. They're still better than the team that we thought we could bow before. Does that make sense? Well, Fresh could come off. Yeah, that does make sense, but, you know, I'm, I would tell the team, listen, we're not going over there and going to pat ourselves on the back if we only win four games and say that we did better than last year. I mean, if that's the attitude, then we should all stay home. I mean, right. this is nine ball. This is nine ball, short races. We can win this Moscone Cup, but I'm not know, I'm, I also... I'm not saying pat yourself on the back if you win four games. What my point is, the pressure of getting absolutely killed out there, yeah. now it's gone. You don't have the pressure yeah. anymore. So that's, that was my point, not that we should be happy with four games. Well, I think that Mark Wilson, and first of all, see, here's, here's kind of the thing that I think is getting overlooked, is that Team America... I mean, there's many reasons why they don't gel well as a team. Team Europe and, and the European fans understand America has great players, but they don't gel well as a team. And I have many philosophies on that and reasons why I believe. Uh, maybe we'll get into that later. But the one thing that's going to help Team America more than anything is this Mark Wilson because he believes in direction. He's going to have the players uh, practicing hard, getting to know each other, and truly becoming friends, not just acting like friends for five days. So – this is the first time ever that we've actually got a true captain, not a playing captain, and a great coach. And I, and I just think that this will really be that, uh, that extra little factor that will give us a lot better chance to perform well because Mark Wilson is going to be a great leader. Um, he, he's already got some great plans for the team. And, you know, um, to me, Team Europe's culture is to not match up and gamble, okay? And that's fine. And in America we kind of have this gunslinger attitude, and a lot of the players have gambled and matched up over the years, and so there's bad blood in history. So a lot of these players, without sugarcoating it, are not best friends. And then for one week throughout the year, we're supposed to all act like teammates and best friends, and it just hasn't worked. And, you know, if it was me, um, I'd take the guys out deep-sea fishing or go-kart racing, and we'd go out there and have a good time and become buddies for a week and really go out there and support each other. Um you know, I just haven't seen Team America gel well, and I think this year they're going to gel a lot better. There's nobody in this eight that's been picked that I would have any problem being in the trenches with and playing uh, by Hill Hill match to win the most. They're all great guys and great players and upbeat and positive and friendly and unegotistical and all the things you would look for in a teammate. Right. Well, that's, you know, you guys uh, obviously better than well, certainly better than I do, uh, and probably better than most people. So sure. um, the fact that you've got that much confidence in the team, no matter how, how it ends up with the final five, so yeah. that's a positive thing. And some of these guys are going to be looking to you because, uh, by the way, it's John Schmidt's birthday today. Happy birthday, John. 
Happy, 29th, happy 29th birthday to me today. Yeah. Yeah. What are you, 41? 41 today, yep. 41. So that just leads me into the next thing. You know, I, I bring it up a little bit, tongue in cheek, to give you a hard time. But you are the oldest person on the team. Yeah, I think you'd never think that would happen. But sure. you, you are the oldest person on the team, so a lot of these younger uh, players are going to be looking to, to you a little bit for reassurance and lean on some of your experience. Sure. Well, you know, I know what it's like to be. Well, when we say inexperienced, you know, you know, when I was a when I was a thirty year old player, I think I played the same way I do now, but I wasn't thought of as a top player or a champion or a U.S. Open winner and all that. So the trick the trick for these young guys is to believe in themselves because nobody else will do it for you. Nobody's going to tell you you're a champion until you believe it yourself. Uh, you know, and all these guys that are that are on the, the the eight pick players are great players, and they're going to win major titles, and they're going to win U.S. Opens, and they're going to play Moscone Cups. So all I would tell them that that I I could tell them to help them is that you guys are monster players. You're the world's best. Believe in yourself. Have a good time. This isn't. First of all. If you win the Moscone Cup, you're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. And if you lose the Moscone Cup, you don't get the guillotine. So take it take it more even keeled and go out there and have a great time. And remember, this is a reward for being a great player. But most importantly, it's how you represent America and yourself in the sport. There will be a lot of eyes on you. When you lose, be a gentleman. When you win, don't gloat. Be a gentleman. And I think that's something that – has gotten a little carried away. I know it's good for the fans, but I see a lot of the players in the Moscone Cups, you know, really going over the line on both sides with the gloating when they win. And to me, um, that's a little disappointing to me as as a fan and a player to see that. I'd like to see a little bit more, um, you know, um, polite structure in the Moscone Cup. Sure, a little bit more um, um, gentlemanly behavior, if if I can put it that way. But it is good for ratings. (laughs) Um, and tell me, what what was your first Moscone Cup experience like? Again, we, we, oh. we said you can't put effort, you don't know what you're in for. But right. apparently in Blackpool, uh, it, this is going to be nuts. This is going to be like something like you've never seen before. Nobody's ever it, seen this. It is. It, it, it is. You know, to me... It's funny that we say that in pool. It's because pool doesn't have huge viewership. And in reality, all other sports see this, NBA and football and baseball. What it really is is the way it should be. Every tournament you go to, you should want it to be like this. I find the fact that there's going to be a 1,000 screaming fans there not as a distraction or a negative. I think that's a positive. The fact that that many people care about a pool match is fantastic. And I'm going to welcome it with open arms that that many people – have paid money to come see my ugly mug play pool, win or lose. I think that's fantastic. So what what was your most going to experience well, like? Well, I played in in Rotterdam, and, uh, you know, I was a rookie. I had just won the U.S. Open, and I was 33 years old. And, and uh, you know, I don't want to name names, but my, my first experience was pretty rough because I, I had a player – on my team that, that really brought the morale down in the room, and he really um, displayed a lot of negativity. And I think the fact that we overcame that and was able to tie that Moscone Cup and keep the cup was amazing to go over to Holland. Um, but I remember walking in the arena, and a guy took an, an air can, like an air foghorn that's really loud, and blew it right in my face. And he was painted in orange and screaming, Europe in my face. And uh, and I think I took him off guard when I high-fived him. I looked right at him, and I high-fived him like, hey, glad there's fans here, whether it's for Europe. Or, and, and to me, I believe that the American players have invited hostility by not accepting the enthusiasm of the European fans. I'd like, I For me, I tried to just accept it and disarm the, the crowd with, hey, whether you're European or American, I look at you as a pool fan. You like pool. I don't care if you're from Scandinavia or Hesperia, California, where I live. You like pool, so we're all buddies. It's like when I ride my motorcycle. It doesn't matter if you're on a moped or a Harley-Davidson. Anybody that's on two wheels, we all give each other the thumbs up when we go by each other on the road. To me, the Moscone Cup is about people who love pool, 
It isn't so much about Europe against America. At least in my warped sense, that's the way I'm going to try to look at it. Right. So that, I, that was my experience. I didn't look at it like we went into this hostile environment. I thought it was great. I said, you're going over there where people care. It's on live TV. There's tons of fans. This is the greatest thing ever. My, right. my only thing, I would like, I've never got to, I have never got to play a Moscone Cup in America. I have to go over to, uh, you know, to the Lions then over in Europe. And uh, just once, I'd like to play in America where we might have a fan or two there. Right. And uh, but, uh, no jet lag. Yeah, I just, I, honestly, the whole crowd thing, here's what I'd tell the players. They're not European fans. They're all of our fans. They're fans of professional pool. We're all professional players. We're here to entertain them and have fun with them. So embrace it, enjoy it, and thrive in it. Because uh, it's very rare that you'll have a 1,000 live spectators and millions watching on TV care about a pool match. So this is absolutely brilliant. Right. Well, that's a, you know what, Jim, that's a, a good attitude, right? a good outlook on it that you have. Obviously, you know you know how it is, the internet and things like that. That is a mixed bag, you know, of, well, we can't do any worse than we did last year. These guys are, you know, up and coming. This is good for pool. But then you've got the, well, it's never going to win. I mean, this is, you know, stupid. There are a bunch of kids out there. Um but, you know, yeah. having the right attitude is, you know, that's probably going to be a big part of the battle ahead. And maybe that's part of what you're, you know, you're bringing to the table. Uh, again, forget your playing ability. Just a good, that's Mark Wilson had said. He liked your uh, sense of humor and lightness. Yeah. And when we talked about it, I'd said that it the same thing. So I went through a an interview myself talking about each player. And again, leaving the ability to one side, having, right. instead of having the practice room be, oh, God, we're going to go out there, oh, I've got to play, you know, Appleton, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, having Instead of having that negative, ooh, you know, well, yeah. what are we are going to do? And then all of a sudden, You've got, hey, let's just have fun with this. Relax. Take the, the practice room from being a worry machine into, right. you know, something that's a lot more fun. It's Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. <coughs> when push comes to shove, I mean, I'm, an, I'm as intense of a player and I want to win as bad as anybody, but I understand it, you know, at 41 years old, what it takes for me to perform well. And I think the thing that I bring to the – to the team, I guess. I'm not sitting here trying to sell myself on pick me, pick me, but I don't have a very intimidating table presence or demeanor. And when I played on the Moscone Cup and I lost a match and I had to walk back through that curtain and face Earl Strickland and the verbal abuse I was going to take or or what have you, like nobody ever feels like that. If somebody's my teammate in the doubles match, they don't have to answer to John Schmidt. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be the one to throw stones because I'm human just like you. So I think, if anything, um, even though it's flattering that the players might look up to me because I'd be the elder grandpa on the team, at the same time, I don't think they're intimidated by me. They all know me well. They all I'm easy to talk to. And I think that could pay dividends when the pressure's on in the Moscone Cup to feel like, hey, John Schmidt's the kind of guy that that uh, just doesn't put undue pressure um you know, with his demeanor or ego or what have you. Right. Well, I I don't personally know. Obviously, none of us know how things are going to play out, and uh, we know nobody knows at this point. Mark Wilson, I don't believe, knows who the final five players are going to be. He does. No, he doesn't. No. You know, obviously, there's going to be people who are probably favorites, just mainly, you know. Down to love well, it, down to the experience. Um, yeah. But you know, I I, I think uh, you're right. You you made a very good point earlier when you said nobody's expecting a lot of people. So I can't say nobody. A lot of people aren't expecting you to do well or win. Everybody expects the European team to win. That actually puts more pressure on you okay. than. Anything else? If you go, if you're playing somebody, if you put me, and probably won't. But 
feel me play in the, in the U.S. Open. Right. And, you know, who's going to expect me to win? That adds. If you lose, you're going to say, how the fuck am I going right. to explain this? Right. It, you know, that's a good point, and I follow a lot of sports, and so when somebody's a big favorite, um, it, it just, they don't have much to gain and everything to lose. And, and you know, we're going to go into the Lions Den over there in England and play a great team that wins every year. I think this is the perfect environment for Team America to do well because, you know, I know that we can win. It's nine balls, short races. It's four days of pool. I mean, I've beaten everybody on Team Europe at one time or the other. They've beaten me. And I just know that on a given day when things, you know, if we perform like we're capable of, you don't, you know, that's another thing I learned too. This is really something that I really learned. When I, when I first got on what you'd call the pro tour and I started playing all these guys that I saw in magazines, I was very intimidated. And as I'm playing on my match, I'm thinking, would it be weird if I asked Johnny Archer for his autograph as he's beating me eight to three? You know, and I just, you know, and I just, I realized after a few years that, wow, you know, I can win tournaments and not even play perfect. I would always have a match or two where I might play a little stinky and, and, and it wasn't real pretty, and I could still win. And sometimes you, you, you're young and you picture, like, I have to play the greatest pool of my life to win, and it's not the case. And you build these other opponents up in your mind to where when you draw them in the Moscone Cup, you have visions of them playing like God, and then you get out there and go, whoa, they missed too, and I've seen it. So I know good and well that we can get up there and put heat on Europe and beat them. They might beat us, but it won't shock me if we go over there and beat them. Yeah. You know. This well, I'm sorry. Totally and, and I think a lot of it, as we said, a lot of it is going to come down to the team bonding, getting along together. Because Absolutely. as far as the playing goes, Everybody on the internet can run. That's how they play risk to six, right? Everybody yeah. can everybody can run the table at any given time. Everybody can run like a nine ball. Sure. So what makes it different? What's gonna be the, the X factor that makes anything different? You know what's with the team? Well, I'll tell you, Mark, I think I think Mark Wilson's gonna be the X factor because in years past, I mean, we all just told, this is your flight, go to Europe, you get off the plane, and you meet all your American counterparts, like, for the first time. I mean, Mark's going to have us for weeks in advance, getting to know each other together, eating together, playing together, doing hobbies together, and hanging out and becoming friends. And that is going to really bode well for the team. You, you just can't act like best friends for four days. It's got to be real. And for the first time ever, it's going to be real this year. And I think that the players Mark has picked, is great, and there's another 10 or 20 players, including the guys that have been on in years past, would have been great. I would have had no problem playing with Johnny Archer and Rodney Morris and Dennis Hatch and Shane as my teammates. That's not the case this year, though. So the guys that he picked are, are total gentlemen, very respectful, humble, gracious, and all those things you'd look for, and they're great players. So I really am excited about this team, and I hope to make the Final Five because uh, I really like what I see in the players. Yeah, well, this is an opportunity. I think everybody should uh, uh, grab a hold of with both hands and yep. the very most of being able to have this advantage that nobody's had before. So sure. um, I tell you, I will leave at that. I know it's your birthday today. I'm sure you've got a million other things to do. Uh, but yep. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your input. Is there uh, anything you, anybody you'd like to say hello to? No, just uh, thanks for the fans for tuning in. I think what you guys are doing is a good thing, having this radio show, and uh, we appreciate all the support for, for Pool and, and Team America and the Moscone Cup. So uh, you guys take care. All right. Thanks a lot, John. I appreciate it. We'll talk right, to you James. soon. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Well, that was John Schmidt, and he gave us some information there that maybe we didn't know, and uh, uh, definitely a look at the attitude is going to be taken into this year's Moscone Cup. That's it for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. This is Mark Kentrell, the Legend of the Champions Report on American Billiard Radio.